All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I got to chat with Matthew Campbell. And Matthew is with Split Brow Productions. Um, he was amazing to talk to. Just the wealth of knowledge that this guy has when it comes to whitetail deer hunting and a lot of different outdoor activities was pretty cool. And so I hope you guys get a lot out of this episode. It was a great time sitting down and talking with Matt. And we're going to dive right in. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dane had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I am joined by Matt Campbell. And Matt has been kind of a lifelong bow hunter uh, lifelong hunter and uh, an avid bow hunter. Uh, he runs Split Brow Productions, and we're just going to chat about all sorts of different hunting stories and and topics. And so, thanks for joining me, Matt. Yeah, no problem. Uh, why, don't, me. why don't you start out by just sharing a little bit about yourself, hunting history with the listeners, and then, um, yeah, that way they can get more familiar with you. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I started getting interested in hunting here in Michigan from a super early age, uh, back as far as I can remember, like five, six years old on was always just really, you know, fascinated with deer and all that kind of stuff. Uh, would tag along with my dad. He was, uh, he was kind of the quintessential Michigan gun hunter. Uh, first three days of gun season here in Michigan, whether he kills one buck, two bucks or no deer, that's his, that's his deer season. Um, and which is fine, but he always did a, a really good job of taking me along and kind of entertaining how crazy I got to be about hunting. He, <laughs> he kind of helped me along with that too. So, um, but yeah, I started bow hunting at 12 years old, the first year that I could here in Michigan and really never looked back. Um, I have shot a few deer with a, with a firearm, but I think it's been 16 years since I've shot a, a buck with a firearm. Wow. It's been strictly strictly bow since then. So kind of took off with that and uh, never looked back. Yeah, that's awesome. That's I mean, that's pretty similar to my story, except I was just on the other side of Lake Michigan growing up in central Wisconsin. Um, where, yep. where you're at in Michigan, are you like mainly farmland? Are you getting close to like the Northwoods? Um, we are at what I would call the Northern edge of the agricultural, um, Southern Michigan is, you know, starting at the state line North to about, you know, halfway, halfway North in the lower peninsula, I would say is very similar. Probably I'm going to say 60% to 70% farm fields with mixed woodlots and Creek, you know, Creek and river drainages that connect all that kind of stuff. So, um, it, it's kind of a bow hunter's paradise really. Cause it's not the big wood setting where you're trying hard to figure them out. The deer are usually visible and we have a, we have a strong, <laughs> a strong deer population here, put it that way. We, we have a lot of does and I think that kind of contributed to making me into the hunter that I am today. I had a lot of practice growing up, put yeah. it that way. <laughs> did you, um, did you guys spotlight there? I mean, obviously not for hunting, but did you grow up like driving yep. around in a truck with a spotlight looking at deer at night? We did. I can remember being super young with my dad and one of his buddies, you know, 
cruising around the back roads, shining deer. And that was, that was a pretty typical thing. A lot of people did it. Um, it's legal until I think 11 PM. Oh, okay. And then after that, you can't shine. Um, I don't do it anymore. Just, I've kind of soured on it just because it, <laughs> once I got older and figured out what a lot of people use that for, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but it was definitely cool, especially Michigan has gotten incrementally better each year with, you know, the size of the bucks and that type of thing. And the culture has changed a little bit, but back then a big buck was a real rarity. So if you went out with a spotlight, I mean, you could see some of those, the big ones that were there, you were going to see them. And that was always really cool. Yeah. We, we grew up doing that and it was like every night we could, we'd go out shining We'd have, <laughs> yeah. we'd have the battery powered. Yeah. Well, it never was battery powered to start. It was always the plug-in, you know, it would plug mm-hmm. into the 12 volt and, uh, they'd make like million candle power, uh, spotlights yep. and you'd light up an entire field. Yeah. But that was like the coolest yep. thing. I think that contributed a lot to me getting excited about hunting. Cause I'm like, holy cow, you go out with a spotlight and you might see 200 deer in one night. And yeah. sitting in the woods, you know, that might take five years to see 200 deer. And so I was like, right. man, these things yeah, are all I, I remember, I can remember a couple, a couple times in high school once, uh, I had a really close knit group of buddies, you know, six or seven of us. And we still are close to this day. And when we were like 16, 17 could first drive, we'd pile in this minivan that, uh, my one buddy had and we'd go shine and, I can remember one night uh, we were on a back road out in the middle of nowhere and somehow that spotlight blew a fuse in the van. We had no dash lights, no interior lights. Oh no. <laughs> had to had to limp at home, you know, but but yeah, we had some good times doing that. There was always like two two really big alfalfa fields that were like guaranteed to be just full of deer, you know. Yep. So we'd hit we'd hit those pretty often. Yeah, we but, uh but yeah, we've we've kind of shied away from that as we've gotten gotten older i i mean living in missouri you can't do it here i haven't aside from one time in michigan actually central michigan i went up to visit a buddy and he's like dude let's go out like this is what i grew up doing (laughs) and i was like sweet like i haven't shined a deer in (laughs) probably 10 to 15 years and so yeah we cruise out and uh like the first three fields we hit it wasn't even dark yet we were just driving and and looking and it was all bean fields and there were so many deer. And then all of a sudden we get to this one field. He's like, just wait. If, if the big bucks <laughs> out here, like your jaw is going to drop. Sure enough, we pull up and there's probably 15 to 20 does and a 180 inch, 180 inch buck. Oh, and oh I'm my. just like, are you kidding me right now? I'm like, dude, I didn't know you had deer like that here. He's like, well, I mean, we don't like, that's very, I was going to say that's, that's very rare in our area. But he, he started, I mean, we took pictures and videos of it and we sent it to all his buddies and he's like, guys, guys, I found the big one. And one guy's like, yeah, I hunt right next to that property. Like he's mine this year. Oh yeah. But it was, yeah, I've kind of heard you. I've kind of heard you talk a few times about, you know, the average antler size where you're at now in Missouri. And I think I'm pretty similar here. Like, yeah. it seems like that 110 to 130 range is a typical nice buck. And then once every couple of years, we'll get one in the 140, 150 range yep. that's running around. But that's, that's pretty similar to where you're at then. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similar. I mean, we will get a couple like in the 150s. I did see a probably a 180 was it two years ago now during bow season? 
saw it one time, um, came in with another buck, but it was 350 yards away. I was sitting there with my bow and I just look out in the field and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like that's the biggest buck I've ever seen while hunting. Like, not, it's not even yeah. close. And so I grab yeah. my binos and I'm looking at it and it's just like working its way probably five yards from the road right across this bean field. And I'm just oh, like, man. it's like probably <laughs> November 4th and I oh, grab, yeah. you know, I've got my call and my antlers and I just click them together a little bit and I'm like, all right, maybe I'll see if that gets his attention. Well, they get over to mm-hmm. like the right side of the field and it's got fog in it. And I'm like looking at him and I'm like, man, it's hard to see him now. All of a sudden I see the front deer, which at first I thought was a young doe because of like mm-hmm. the body difference. It was it was, yeah, I mean, it looked like a doe and a fawn. Yeah. Like that's how different mm-hmm. they were. And I look and here's this buck running up the fence line right towards me. And I'm like, where did that buck come from? And then I, I put two and two together. It was a monster. And then this buck walking together. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like watching this one and I'm like, oh man, that other one's probably coming in ready to fight too. Look back, gone. Never saw him again. Never heard about him again. The only thing I know is that one of the neighbors has pictures of him, and oh man, nobody's nobody's killed him. Nobody's found sheds, but um, he yeah, yeah, it's biggest buck it, I've ever seen. It's it's shocking for someone like me. Like when I started to go out of state to see a, a true mature buck and yeah. what that actually looks like. Like especially in Kansas last year. Like I've hunted uh, Missouri a couple times in northern Missouri. Saw some nice deer, but I never got to see a true giant like what you're talking about. Yeah. Kansas last year, I was out there mid-November, so it was lockdown. And we saw bucks midday just either zombie walking, looking for a doe or with a doe, right? And I had killed my buck, and we were headed to the processor midday the next day. And we came over this hill. And probably a half a mile up and we're in cattle country. It's like prairie grass and cattle pastures. We crest this hill in the truck and I, I didn't even say anything at first because I didn't even register in my brain what it was in the road up there. And I kind of like started to stammer and talk to the guy next to me. I'm like, is that a steer? What, what is in the road up there? And it was a buck and the guy's like, get up there. Let's see it. And it was just kind of uh, paralleling a Creek bed at like 1230 in the afternoon all by himself probably a mid one sixties, 10 pointer, just in that fog that they get in the middle of the rut when they're in between mm-hmm. does, he didn't care. He was just going a to B looking for a doe, but I have never seen the body shape. Like he literally was shaped like a steer, mm-hmm. just that super deep chest. The neck was enormous. And I kind of opened my eyes to what a true <laughs> mature buck actually looks like. I'm used to hunting three-year-olds here in Michigan, you know? So, yeah, I've got, I've only hunted Kansas one time and it was life changing. I was like, man, at some point I've yeah. got to have land out here. Um, a buddy of mine's actually looking at 320 acres out there and I've seen the deer that have come off that property and I'm like, please get it. Yeah. Please get it. Like, what do you, yeah. do I need to go bring bring a case of beer it's, to somebody uh, to help sweeten the deal? What's going on? Um, it's yeah. a special place. That's for sure. Like when we took our deer to the processor, uh, a buddy of mine and I killed on the same night. And then the next day we took both of our bucks to the processor and the racks hanging on, the, <laughs> you know, that were waiting to be picked up. I'm oh, like, yeah. Holy cow. I mean, ours, ours were nice, but there were some giants there 
And it's just like an everyday thing to them out there. Like they don't even really, doesn't even move the needle out there unless it's like over 170 of the locals, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's, that's kind of how it was growing up in Wisconsin. Like I grew up right next to um, Buffalo County, Wisconsin, which is known for monster bucks. And it was, it seemed like every year we'd, we'd have someone we knew that would send us a picture of like, a 17 point buck up to like a 25 point buck going anywhere yeah. from like one seventies to the, the low two hundreds. And it's like, how, like, where are these guys hunting? And Wisconsin's known for big bucks, but there's right. so many small bucks shot for every big buck. Yeah. Like the, the deer what, numbers what, are just so high that, that obviously like yeah. there's going to be more big bucks as well. I've always been really, almost puzzled i guess and i'd like to hear your opinion on it because like you said the hunt, wisconsin and michigan are very comparable in the overall number number of hunters yep there's i mean we're right in the top five every year for hunters right and you have you can use center fire rifles in wisconsin right yeah so that's the same as michigan but we do not pump out the bucks like wisconsin does here and the, the main thing that i've always thought is the terrain because it is so much more rugged by Buffalo County. There's so much more places for them to actually hide from those hunters. Yep. Is that maybe what you think contributes to it? Yeah. I think like Buffalo County, Wisconsin has, it's an amazing mix of country out there. I mean, you'll have rolling Hills, just like acres and acres of corn. Then you'll have cliff country or they call it bluff country right. down there. And yep. the bluff yep. country, I mean, it's hundred foot cliffs bordering the Mississippi right. river. And so you have all of that, that's tough terrain. And then you have deep swamps all along the Mississippi river and Buffalo County sits okay. right on the, I mean, like it, it's right on the edge of the state. And so you get all of that different terrain and it makes it tough as a hunter. Like there's some spots that are almost inaccessible. Like right. you could go out in those swamps and probably find some one fifties, one sixties every year yeah. because mm-hmm. nobody gets back there. I mean, you might, you could take one step from solid ground and the next thing you're in like thigh deep black dirt, <laughs> like slush. Yeah, muck. And so, I mean, you could probably get away with it in the winter when it's all frozen and stuff, but then you're still having to cross some creeks. It, that country yeah. is just crazy. And, and maybe, maybe food, I guess, uh, with the, uh, with the mineral rich soil along the Mississippi, maybe it has something to do with it too. But oh, yeah, it's always just kind of kind of puzzled me, like, what what is Michigan doing so wrong? Because I know you can use rifles in Wisconsin. Like, how are the bucks just so much bigger on average over there? Well, but. it's crazy because, like, there's so many hunters, which is, I think, the reason that we typically lead the country in Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young entries. Like, Wisconsin's always up there yeah. in the top one, two, or three. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But I think, I really think part of it's the soil, like you were saying, it yeah. is, there's so much food everywhere you look, there's food. Like the deer can live mm-hmm. in almost any square mile in Wisconsin and have plenty of food to grow a big rack. But yeah, other than that, I really don't know because like you look at Minnesota, <laughs> like Minnesota, Michigan and Wisconsin are very similar and mm-hmm. they're close. I mean, Minnesota is just on the other side of the border from, or on the other side of the river. Yeah but they're just not pumping out the same type of numbers. And yeah, I, th- I think that, I'm going to get a dose. 
I'm going to get a dose of the bluff country on the other side of the river in Iowa this year. Oh, nice. I've got an Iowa muzzle, muzzle loader tag for unit nine tucked up in that Northeast corner. Oh, and I think it's very similar looking at the maps. It's uh pretty rugged. Yeah. So I think I'm going <laughs> to get a crash course in bluff country hunting this December. So. Yeah. I would love to, <laughs> I mean, that whole strip, Iowa, even Illinois and it seems like lately a ton of good stuff's coming out of Ohio. I've had a couple people reach out from Ohio yeah. and they're like, dude, the bucks here are insane. And I'm like, I just haven't spent a lot of time in Ohio to know what the country's like, what the terrain's like, but I've, I've hunted several States and I will say that Southeast Ohio and the big woods and the hill country was the hardest for me to kind of get my head around how to hunt it. Oh, okay. I hunted down there for three years and it kicked my butt. I won't, <laughs> I won't sugarcoat it or <laughs> try to act like I'm some great hunter. It, it was very, very tough. I had to sort of dive into how they relate to those terrain features, saddles, bedding points, all that stuff. And once I learned a little more about that, that third season, I got into a little more deer and got a little closer, but the bucks are there. Yep. But for a flatland farm country bow hunter like I grew up, it was like being dropped on the moon, man. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once you get into like some serious elevation and terrain changes, things things go sideways in a hurry or or you just realize how out of shape you are. I can't tell you how yeah. many times <laughs> yeah, I've been like sure. hiking up a mountain and I'm like, I don't even have meat in my pack. Like I'm as light as I can <laughs> be right now and I am just sucking wind. Yeah. What, uh, yeah. what's been your favorite type of place to hunt? I guess. Are you, are you big on edges, woods, fields? What do you like to, what do you like to hunt? I definitely feel most comfortable in like, uh, say like, a if I'm going somewhere for a five to seven day hunt, if it's mixed agriculture, I feel like I can quickly sort of figure out what the deer are doing. I'm definitely most comfortable with that, but I will say that, um, going to Kansas last year, like I said, it was uh, prairie grass and cattle pasture country. Yep. And I mean, you might have three trees big enough for a tree stand in a one mile square. And um, when we first got there, I'm like, uh, we're going to bow hunt this. Like what, <laughs> what are we doing here guys? But once I figured out, started to figure that out, that was a ton of fun Yeah. because everything is so visible. If the deer are there, you're going to see them. Yep. And and I like that. I like being able to see what they're doing and adjust. And uh, the last probably three to five years, I've really transitioned to more mobile hanging hunt style. And both my bucks last year were killed that way, my Michigan deer and my Kansas deer. So nice. um, it is better, or I do prefer now being able to see and make a quick adjustment like that. Um, so, so yeah, Kansas so far, I would have to say is my favorite. I'm, I'm, had good success there last year and I'm headed back this fall. So yeah, it I was, it was a blast. I'm so torn between being able to see and just the element of surprise. Uh, I've got, yeah. I've got one property. I went and hunted it last night and they just finished cutting all the corn probably three days ago. And so I'm sitting over a bean field. The neighbors is all corn and the deer just run up that corn field cross at the four way crossing on the fence and then they're right in front of me. And I love sitting there because, you know, I can see probably a total of 500 acres and see where the deer are, like if they're out. So to go out and not see deer is very rare. 
yeah. the flip side, here at the spot that I'm recording from, it's 20 acres, thick woods, but there's something about just sitting in the woods and hearing that crunch. And you know, yeah. like, that one was not a squirrel. You know, the last 400 have been squirrels, yeah. but this one was big. And I, I always love, like, uh, and here in Michigan, we get those early November hard frost, high pressure mornings, you know, yep. and that, that different cadence, you can tell it's a buck. Like you can tell it's a buck coming. Like does will, will walk lightly and, you know, they'll hesitate, but you get those early November bucks and you can just hear that and your heart rate just jumps. I love that being able to hear them coming through the woods like that. I, w- I went and sat last night and that exact thing happened to me. Uh, I'm hunting a field edge right on, I mean, right above the fence line. I'm in the first tree on the edge of the woods and I sat all night. I mean, I got out there pretty late, but sat, didn't see much. And I look at my phone and shooting light last night was 511. And so I was like, all right, it's 511. I turn, I grab my camera off my camera arm, put it in my bag, go to get my camera arm off the tree. And I hear that, and I'm just like, that's a buck. I know that's a buck. And I just wait, and I'm like looking back in the woods, and all of a sudden I see it come through, and it turns broadside at five yards. And at this point, because it's in the woods, and it's shooting, like right at shooting light, I can't tell which deer it is yet. All I can see is the body, and I'm like, I just see a sway in the back and I'm like, Oh no, that's one of the two. It's one of the two. I don't know which one yet. And I mean, it just stands there for like a good minute broadside at five yards. I've got a perfect window in the trees and I'm like, why couldn't this have been like three minutes ago? You know, yeah. turns, hops the fence right into the bean field. Now it's at like probably 10 yards broadside plain as day. And I could see that it was one of my two uh, bucks that, I want to shoot this year. And I never even picked Mm -hmm. up my bow. I just stood there and just admired it. I'm like, I cannot believe this happened two minutes after legal shooting light was up. Oh, it was just after legal. Oh yeah. I mean, literally like just after. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm just, I mean, it was a cool encounter. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, you know, there are some people that would be like, Oh, I would have shot it anyway, but I can't, I can't bring myself to break the rules when it comes to that type of stuff for a couple different reasons. One, I just don't think it's ethical Two, I don't want to have to lie about the story now. Every time I share it, you know, right. Like if I had to hide now that you're now that you're, uh, you know, making this your livelihood, you don't want that stain early on. You know what I mean? You can't be doing that. No, I just, (laughs) I'm like, man, it's kind of a waste. It's a waste of a good story. If you have to hide details and I would much rather let it go and have this as part of the story if I shoot him later on in the year. And so yeah, uh, it was good information though. I know he's crossing right underneath my stand and, uh, were you able to make it out, make it out clean? Yeah. Like I let did. him work so, off. And so I just out? waited, I watched him and he got out into the field and he kind of stopped and I think he could tell something was up. He couldn't quite figure out what, but mm-hmm. He just went from like hopping the fence and standing there to like a brisk walk, not really a trot, but I just watched him okay. and I could see his silhouette all the way down the field until he got to the road, which is like 350 yards. And so then I started mm-hmm. packing my stuff up and I climbed down. 
Yeah, and uh, it was fun with the camera. With the camera as well, you lose you lose camera light about ten minutes before legal, anyways. Yeah. Too <laughs> well, and <laughs> I've never I've never filmed. I filmed. Uh, let me think. I filmed one coyote. Like I shot a coyote while coyote hunting. Yeah, and that's the only thing I've ever filmed. And I keep saying, like, man, I'm going to get into filming. Yeah. I got a couple tacticams. I got this like real small mm-hmm. uh, Sony and got a camera yep. arm and I'm like, man, I'm going to do all this. And then I just, I keep, it's a lot of work. I keep messing up. <laughs> like I forgot my adapter um, that goes on the bottom of the camera that clips into the camera arm. Forgot yeah. that my first hunt of the year. And so I didn't have anything to film shot a doe so, like, right under my stand. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So last year in Kansas, the, the second morning I was there, I have a, I have the fourth arrow triple arm. The, the base goes to the tree and then you drop that in. Yep. So I get to my stand in the dark and I don't have the base. I don't know how I took it out of my backpack or what I did. So, so I somehow, I don't remember if it was from my mobile sticks or what, but I had a ratchet strap in my backpack Yep. <laughs> and I rigged that thing to the tree. Like I took the, the first section <laughs> and I was able to ratchet it down so tight that it was functional. And luckily nothing came by close that morning, but I think I could have made it work, <laughs> but it, I took a couple pictures. It was pretty funny. I sent them to uh, Tyler, the guy that I do the channel with. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm hunting this morning, but I don't know how this is going to work yep. out, but it gets to be, it gets to be a lot of gear. It really does. Especially when yeah. I'm mobile and I have my sticks, my saddle, my platform, and then, uh, all the stuff for self-filming. <laughs> what what saddle are you running? Um, I'm using uh, Latitude Outdoors okay. this year. They're based here in Michigan in Grand Rapids. Um, this, is, this is my first year using Latitude, um, but this is my 18th season saddle hunting. Dang. I ditched, ditched the tree stands in 2004, and I've been strictly saddle since then. Even... Even the last couple gun bucks that I killed, uh, the last one was 2006. I killed that gun buck out of a tree saddle as well. Nice. What uh, what are yeah. some pointers? I don't have one. I've got a couple buddies who have got them. Like the main properties that I hunt, I just I have so many tree stands up. I can just pick which one I want to sit in. Um, but yeah. I would like to try to get into public land hunting because I hear story after story about big bucks being shot out here on public. And right. the trees just aren't conducive <clears throat> for a climber at all. I, cl- I did it one time in a climber, hated it, thought I was going to die. And I said, never again. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've done two sits in a climber and that's it. It's, yeah. I have a brand new summit with two sits in it. That's hanging in my garage, like brand new, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> probably, probably never use it again. I should sell it. But, um, but with the tree saddle, the type of tree that you can sit in is so like it's unlimited. It really is. Um, so actually a hunt from Missouri that comes to mind, um, in 2015, I had a lease near Kirksville in Northern Missouri and, um, had, I didn't want to leave any stands there, you know, 10 hours away. I didn't want to get get down there and have them stolen all that stuff. So, um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, that was the first year that I really went mobile with my sticks. I had the muddy pros, the smaller with the rope cleats yep. on them. And I bounced around that farm a little bit and actually ended up killing my buck out of an Osage orange tree that I was probably 11 feet to my, where my boots were. Oh, and I'll bet that tree, like at that time I didn't have a, 
a platform yet. Nobody was really making the saddle platform. So I was using screw in pegs. Mm-hmm. And when I was screwing them in that morning, I was actually worried that they were going to hit going through the tree. That's how thin that thing was. It was probably, I mean, five, six inch diameter max where I was tied oh off. Oh my gosh. But so that's how versatile they are. I mean, you, I was literally in a glorified bush when I killed that deer and I shot him. I shot that deer at 12 yards. It was, uh, it was November 12th and he was defending a doe in a bedding area against some other bucks. And she led him right by the tree at 12 yards. And that deer was so, like I mentioned before, that like brain fog that they get in the rut. I shot him and he made a little half moon shape and stopped at like 20 yards. And I knew, knew that I 10 ringed him, right? I could see blood just pouring out of him. And I'm like, what? He was standing for 30 seconds without tipping over. So I knocked another arrow and he starts getting wobbly. And that deer died at the base of my tree, almost touching the tree. It was wild. It was one of them. It was like 137 inch 10 point. I mean, it it was a really nice buck, you know, but just an unbelievably cool hunt, how it all played out. But, but yeah, those deer never had a clue. I was there 11 feet off the ground because that tree had so much cover. And that's, uh, that's something that I've actually started doing more and more in the last couple of years. I used to have it pre-programmed in my head. I have to be 25 feet, no matter what, or these deer are going to see me have to be high. And I think I was hurting myself more than helping myself because I would outclimb the cover. You know what I mean? Yep. So now I'll get to that 15 to 18 feet, a lot of hunts, stay where the, you know, I have more cover and I seem to be having more success. Um, I like my Kansas it. buck last year, same thing. It was Osage orange tree, just a little bit bigger than that. And that was maybe 12 feet. Yeah. I think, I think my boots are at 13 feet in my main stand mm-hmm. and yeah. I picked that spot because I was walking and I look and there was just this perfect window and all I saw was a straight trunk underneath is like a full, probably 120 degree fan of uh, branches. And then above it's the same thing. And I'm my buddy's like, do you stand up a lot when you hunt? And I'm like, I can't. I'm like, I have so much (laughs) cover like right here. Yeah. Just right over your head. Like I can stand up and see probably 50 yards out but I lose visibility Mm -hmm. of the next 300 yards out to the road. And so I'm like, I sit for a while. I like to stand and turn, but I keep telling myself every year I'm going to get into saddle hunting. And like this year it didn't happen. And I'm kind of, well, it could still happen. I just need to. There there is a learning curve. There is a learning curve. I would actually, for someone who's never done it, I would recommend against doing it mid season okay. just because the setup is so different. Like I've fine tuned my setup so much over the last 18 years that everything's just second nature now, yep. but to think about somebody just coming in, it would be so foreign. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, if you do it, I would get into it in the spring okay. and take the summer and uh, practice. Shooting is different. It alters your form a little bit. Yep. Uh, I had one buddy especially that the first year he used it, he really struggled shooting out of it um, at deer. So there is a little bit of a learning curve there. but um, And they aren't for everybody. Everybody's body is a little bit different too. Like yeah. I, I'm a fairly short guy, you know, a little chubbier, but some guys and it for for whatever reason it seems like the tall skinny guys have trouble getting comfortable in them which i don't understand you think it'd be the opposite but (laughs) i guess it's probably you know they're too bony i guess but but yeah um and and companies are getting a lot better um like latitude for example 
Um, I'm using the classic, they call it just a one panel, you know, it's, that's why it's called that. It's the classic saddle design. Yep. Um, they also set me up with the method they call it, which is the two panel. Okay. If you've seen those before, and then they make a method XL, which F, I sat in the XL and it was way big on me and I'm not a skinny guy. So yeah. I would say in the 300 pound range, a guy could probably be comfortable in that method Dang. XL. So, um, yeah, you just, and a lot of these companies are doing demo days. I would really recommend that people do that actually yep. sit in one because as much as I love latitude as a brand, their ownership is awesome. The product is awesome some guy's body type might not agree with it. It's yeah. just where it hits your hips and your bone structure. So uh, it really is a, a custom thing. Yeah. I, but I've, yeah, it's been in, invaluable to me. I've been using um, just a rock climbing harness when I hang my yep. stands. Like that's been kind yep. of my go-to. I have hands free. I can, I can just sit with back. a lineman belt. Yep. And so yep. I've been doing that for years now and I didn't, I mean, even when I was doing that, I didn't even know about saddle hunting. And then all of a sudden I was like listening to podcasts and it seemed like every couple weeks I was hearing saddle, 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 start looking Mm -hmm. it up. And I'm like, dang, this is cool. Like I've been doing that, but I'm just like, I never even thought to do it while I hunted. I only used it. So I had hands free when I was hanging stands. And now the more I think about it, I'm like, man, it would be perfect. And even if I did try to get into it like this season, I've got a spot right behind my house where it's like, I can, I could just climb the tree and sit all day long. I I'll see 20 deer. We've got an orchard literally right behind the house. I've got my bow range that goes straight down the row of the orchard. (laughs) And so I've got like a buck decoy and then I've got like three or four targets behind that. Mm -hmm. I'll open the garage door on the back. It's like a mechanical garage door, you know? hit the button and it goes up and here's my buck decoy and then a deer and a target and a deer, yeah. and, a deer and a deer. And I'm like, <laughs> I only have one deer target. Like I can, yeah. I could just sit right here, but it, I like to get away from my house, you know, like I don't want to be yeah. able to see a building when I'm hunting, if at all possible, even though they're so right. used to us here, they, they would mm-hmm. probably walk up and, eat at 20 yards if i was (laughs) if i was jumping on the trampoline with my kids yeah 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 and i think with uh saddle hunting uh being where i'm from in central michigan uh, i'm sure you've heard of john eberhart right oh yeah um yeah so he's like who i would call like the quote-unquote godfather of saddle hunting right he's been doing it since the 80s so so i think the michigan guys sort of had a jump start on that market even before they became popular and um a friend of mine and I were the first two to sort of jump into it. And we really, I mean, <laughs> we, we were like disciples of his, right. All the, all the books that he had, we couldn't get enough information. Right. And yeah. we kind of dove head first into his whole system. And uh, that's what, that's what got me started in it. But yeah, I yeah, wish really I had found out, out well. about it. I wish I found out about it years ago. It's funny, Missouri hunters, a lot of them like in the Southeast or the Southwest part of the state, <laughs> I feel like a lot of them are set in their ways. Like nothing's going to change. I'm going to sit in the same stand every year. Like I don't even change straps on it. One day it's just going to like fall out from under them. But I remember early on moving here, I didn't hunt at all aside from waterfowl. Cause in Wisconsin, I learned like, you don't, you don't 
hunt on public land for rifle season because there are so many yeah. people. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just not doing that. And so I was like, you know, maybe I'll try to find some public land to bow hunt on. And then I found actually a chunk of private and I'm talking to these guys at work and they're like, good luck, man. They're like, we haven't seen a deer in two years. And I was like, you haven't seen a single deer in two years. And they're like, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's guy's rough. Like, I shot this buck though a few years back. Oh man. And he's showing me pictures and it's like this basket rack six point. And I'm like, Oh man, he is so <laughs> pumped about this. I'm like, am I really in that crappy of a spot in the state yeah. to where like that is the, the peak of their hunting career. And right. then I go out to this private land spot and I'm like, there's deer everywhere. Like every set, yeah. there's deer all over the place. And I started putting out cameras, getting like 130s, 140s, even a 150 on camera. And I'm like, I've made it. Yeah. <laughs> I've made it. I'm yeah. never going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was funny when I had that lease in Missouri in 2015. Um, I took a week to go down there. So I took like the five days leading up to the gun opener in November. And then I was going to stay for the first two days. And I killed my buck, I think two days before the gun opener. And then you get another rifle tag. So I was like, Oh, maybe I can double dip, you know? So I hung out. Well, when I was loading my buck, the guy that farmed the property saw me and wheeled in and was talking to me. And he's like, Oh boy, you just wait till Saturday. And he's telling me, he's like, there's going to be so many people out here. There's gonna be all these gunshots. And I'm like, oh, really? And I'm like, dang it. And then I got thinking, I'm like, buddy, I'm from Michigan. I don't think you really know what gun pressure is. And sure enough, Saturday morning, I sat daylight to dark, opening day of gun season on that property, and I heard eight gunshots all day. Eight. I hear eight gunshots before daylight on my Michigan property, and I'm not kidding. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I totally understand. It's like you don't have to (laughs) – I tell everyone, I'm like, just don't be the first shot. If you're hunting the first time yeah. in Wisconsin, don't be the first shot because I, kn- you know, you're early. Then I'm like, once yeah. you hear like 12 shots, you're probably into legal shooting light. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we had snow on the ground for the gun opener here. Yep. I think it was a full 45 minutes before legal shooting hours that I started to hear shots because mm-hmm. people were just silhouette shooting them out in the field. You know? Oh yeah. But that's why that's another reason I'm kind of off put by gun season. Like that opening day in Missouri, what I did was I took my bow and I sat in the same tree where I'd killed that buck two days before. Cause I was right in the thick cover anyways. Yeah. 30 yards was my max shot. So yeah, it's just kind of off putting to me. I like the, I really like the up close and personal aspect of bow hunting Yeah, over, over gun hunting. Well, it's, it's definitely become my favorite hunting out of everything is, hunting white tails mm-hmm. with a bow. Like I look forward to that way more than rifle season. I would miss all of rifle season. Um, if it meant I could just bow hunt the whole time, which here in Missouri, yeah. they actually shut bow hunting down during the rifle season. Now, at least they did last year. And oh, really? Like, That's really odd. no kidding. Yeah. Like really it, if you look at the regulations, it has the archery season, which is like September 15th to, I think last yeah. year it was November 15th. And then there was okay, a nine-day yeah. break, and then it picked back up on, like, the 24th. And oh, like, yeah. This is yep. so weird that you can't even, like, just make me wear blaze orange, and I can still go and sit with right. my bow. But, right. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's what we do here in Michigan. As long as you have blaze orange, yeah. um, you're good to go. 
but I know like Iowa for the shotgun seasons, there's no archery hunting. Yeah. Um, that type of thing. So, yeah, that seems weird to me. I I'm, I've always been a proponent of anything, any method of take that's lesser. So like if if it's rifle season, you should be able to muzzleloader hunt and bow hunt during that time. If it's muzzleloader season, Mm -hmm. you should be able to bow hunt, you know, but I, I just say, you know, it's not my battle. Like (laughs) the conservation department, (laughs) they know what they're doing Yeah, here in Missouri. They've been awesome. Like, I've had nothing but good encounters with conservation department. They put so much money back into the habitat and just looking at the crops that they grow specifically for deer. Um, I will say there's probably a lot of upset hunters the other day. I went out to hunt the private property and I drove by this chunk of land. It's all public and it's a couple thousand acres. And it was like right when the temperature dropped, like the pressure was, uh, I mean, everything just seemed to line up and every single parking lot that I went by on the public, it just said closed for special event. And I'm like, Oh man, really? Yeah. The whole, like literally the whole, I think it's 3,500 acres. Every bit of it had signs on it that said closed for a special event. So I don't know what they were doing. I saw one guy Hmm. with a blaze orange vest out there and an orange hat. Um, and he was right at like the headquarters getting into a, he was getting into a, like a fifth wheel trailer that was parked in the parking lot. And so hmm. I was like, I, I can't even begin to imagine what's going on. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of strange. So, um, I did notice that when we hunted Ohio as well, uh, we were in the hill country, like I said, but, um, you get back closer to Columbus and the mixed egg and, uh, those public properties around there, the DNR does a lot of work on, uh, with crops and planting CRP type grasses, yep. maintaining those, they look like they do a really good job there as well. Yeah. I noticed it. The first time I really noticed the amount of work they did was we were out scouting for uh waterfowl and it was like a few days before season was going to open. And so we go to this new chunk of land and we walk because on the aerial map, it was like 500 yards, probably maybe more that you had to walk back, but it looked like there was a small body of water. And we start cruising back there and I hear like a machine going. I'm like, what is that? It's just a constant humming of an engine. And we get back and here's a team of guys out there and they're pumping water out of the river to flood this Milo field. And I was like, really? Huh? Interesting. So we go over and talk to him and it was, uh, Missouri conservation. And they're like, yeah, we flood this every year. We flood about 40 acres and there's a strip of trees in the middle for cover there's a couple pockets on the outside and they're like, but it creates a good spot for birds to come in and land. Other, otherwise they wouldn't come in here, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's this awesome. is amazing. Like you guys are doing this yeah. in the middle and it, it's not even like a well-known area. It's like kind of out in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere, but just another habitat project. So I was pretty impressed with that. Yeah. Yeah. At least, you know, your, uh, licensed dollars are going to good use there, right? Oh, for sure. What, uh, what does this year look like for you? Do you, uh, do you have any, well, first of all, do you run trail cameras? Uh, yeah, I'm a big, big trail camera guy. Nice. And, uh, last year was the first year that I got into the cellular cameras and it really made a big difference for me. Yeah. Um, I, I picked up two of the tact cam reveals last year that everybody was kind of jumping on, had yeah. great luck with them so far. And it, you know, 
I didn't exactly know how I wanted to use them at first, but I have, I have really low patience. I have a hard time staying out and not checking cameras. I just, I just have to know, you know what I mean? Especially if I'm not seeing the deer that I think I should be. Um, so I took one of those cell cams and last year I have a secluded, uh, backfield on my property. Uh, it's about 10 acres and last year it was standing corn. So there's bedding dead center in the middle of my property along that corn. And I stuck one of those cell cams right over an active scrape right there. And there was a buck that I was after the buck I ended up killing. I call him the drop time buck. He had a little four inch drop time at the end of his beam. Um, I had him all summer long on my property. And then once October hit, couldn't find him. And he was skirting the cell cameras or that's what I came to find out is he was skirting them. Um, but it got to be like October 10th last fall and it was really warm that morning. I want to say it was even like 65 at daylight, getting up to 75 during the day. Damn. I didn't even hunt that morning. Yeah. So at 10 30 in the morning, I get a picture of that deer and I'm like 10 30 in the morning, this deer has to be bedding within a hundred yards of this camera. You would think, right? Yeah. So I got all my gear around, got cleaned up and at like 1 PM, I just started sneaking really, really slow, taking my time because I'm blessed with a lot of deer on my property, but it makes it very tough to get into without Mm -hmm. blowing does everywhere, you know? So I started sneaking along the edge of that corn. The wind was good. And I got as far as I felt comfortable, um, set the tree up, got in there. And about 15 minutes before dark, he made his way up the edge of the corn and I was able to get him. That's awesome. And I learned a little bit about that too, because that active scrape, that camera was pointing right at it. Right. But that deer was actually, I never would have got his picture that night. He was about 20 yards inside the wood line and he was going downwind of it. And that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. What I think these bigger bucks do sometimes is they they'll check the scrape, but they're not going to go to it to check it. They'll just swing 20 yards downwind and say, okay, no other dominant bucks have been here. I'll just keep cruising. Right. And I think that's what he would have done that night. Um, and so there, the trail cams are, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. You can't just go off that data. And I'm on a deer this year on my property. I was hoping to get him killed before this podcast actually, but he's, I've seen him five different times. I've had five encounters in the first 12 days here in Michigan and I can't, can't get on him, but he's living right in that same area as last year, but it's beans. And the problem that I have this year is there's, so many deer he'll let he'll let like 15 or 20 deer get in that field and then he comes out he comes out early well before dark but he's got 20 bodyguards i call him out in the field and if any deer um gets on you know gets nervous or anything like that he's out of there but what i was getting at with that deer is if i wasn't seeing him in person i haven't got a cell cam picture of that deer maybe once since the first 12 days of october and that deer is living right there. I see him every time I hunt. So you, you kind of, I don't want that to discourage people. If you're not seeing a big buck on your camera, you know what I mean? I'm guilty of it too. Yep. Oh, I don't want to hunt. I don't have a big, a big buck on camera. Well, sometimes they're right under your nose. They're just skirting that camera. I figured but, that out pretty quick um, when, uh, when I first started hunting this main property, I would, I would sit out there and I'd have deer cruising through. And I'm like, oh, that one, like, I'm going to go and look back at that one on the trail camera. And it's not on the trail camera. I'm like, I would have guessed it walked right by the one down the fence row. 
And I'm yeah. like, where is this deer coming from? And then same with the one last night. Um, I had had him on camera with the bachelor group. I mean, I'd have like seven, eight bucks on camera. They'd all come in at the same time. Um, one would run the other ones off consistently. And I'm just like, man, these, these bucks are in here every day. I had daylight pictures of them like back in the summer. And I'm like, dude, this is going to be a phenomenal year. The last month I went, one of my cameras was taking like 2,300 pictures every time I checked it. And it dropped down to where I got like 25 pictures. And oh like, no. <laughs> what is going on? Where are these deer? But they just changed up their pattern. Like that big buck last night. Yeah. It crossed the fence within five yards of me. And I w- it's so thick right there. I'm like, you know, these deer want to come out to the edge, scan the field, hop the fence and go. No, he came through the thickest, nastiest stuff and jumped the fence right there. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Uh yeah. So I'm. Yeah, I've hunted this deer this year. If I'm going to hunt solely off of game cameras, I better have a game camera on every tree and on both right. sides you know, of it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I started doing that actually, putting on opposing sides mm-hmm. of the trees just just for that, and it's amazing what <laughs> what'll be on one and not the other. But but yeah, this buck tonight. I'm actually after we get off here, I'm going to kind of try and do the same thing as I did last year. I'm going to go in real early tonight. I've got a good wind. Temperatures dropped a little bit here in Michigan. I think the high is only 68 today, and it's been close to 80 for the last five days. Dang. So he just – he's a smart buck. He has a bulletproof bed. I mean, yep. he can either see anything coming or he's surrounded by so many deer. Like you hear people talk about satellite beds, right? And these deer are kind of fan-shaped, bedded around him, and I'm just worried of dominoing all those deer past him. So. Yep. I don't want to wait too long. I do have a neighbor who's a very good bow hunter in his own right. (laughs) And I don't want this deer to start cruising for does. And I mean, like two years ago, he shot a great 140 inch 10 that I had on camera. And I went and shook his hand. Obviously I told him like, man, I'm happy for you, but you broke my heart, man. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm worried that that same thing is going to happen this year. So I'm trying to be as aggressive as I can early without blowing it up. Um, that's a little out of character with how I normally would hunt early season. But like I said, I, I feel like I need to get on him while he's still there. Yeah. I'm, I'm super blessed where I'm at because on the four properties on each side of my main property, out of those four, I have one hunter and oh, nice. <laughs> he, hunts, he hunts south of me and it's definitely the best area to hunt around. I mean, it's, it's like miniature bluff country, right? It drops down hard to yep. this river bottom. It's the lowland ag fields with no terrain change, but then they've got like a thick oak ridge line that goes all the way up to the mm-hmm. road where the property I hunt starts. But I'm like, man, I kind of have, if, if I don't mess this up for myself, like there's nobody else taking these deer out except maybe this one bow hunter by himself down on probably 400 acres. And yeah. I thought that for years. And then I I had this one buck on camera. I called it Big Easy. And he was a perfectly symmetrical eight point. I mean, just a square frame, super tall tines, like everything he had just screamed awesome deer. And I was like, this is my dream buck right here. Even though he's just an eight <laughs> point, like I've never shot anything yep. that looks like him. And I had him on camera, same thing, bachelor groups all summer long, got him hard horned, 
And then he just disappeared. And I'm like, dang, what's going on? Well, that buck got shot like three miles away. And I was like, yeah. that's a long, that's a long ways. But I know exactly what he did because I know the property he got shot on. He just cruised that river bottom and he was checking doe bedding areas yeah. the whole way down. And I'm like, what yeah. is, what's all this crap about bucks have a tiny core range? And, you know, I was yeah. getting so mad. And they do, they do until a certain time on the calendar exactly. and then that goes out the window. Yep. So we'll, we'll see. How, what, how is your, uh, how is your acorn crop where you're at this year? Phenomenal. It's amazing. It? Yeah. Okay. We, uh, I, I get teased every time I leave the house to go hunting and come home because the neighbors, I've got two neighbors, one at the base of the driveway and one like 300 yards up the road. And they both have these beautiful lawns and it's nothing but oak trees. And every time <laughs> I pull in or out of my driveway, they're both loaded with deer because yeah. they don't have to dig for them. They can just walk and it's just like a buffet right. uh, of mowed yep. grass and open acorns it's it's very thin here in michigan this year hmm. um there's a few a few red oaks and i've found virtually zero white oaks and Dang. i was talking to somebody recently and they said uh, the gypsy moths are prevalent here the last two years okay. and something about what they do to the white oaks uh prevents them from producing acorns but i've definitely seen that um that that buck the other night he comes out into this bean field and i think it's they'll feed on the beans, but it's almost more of like a social hub for all the bucks. They'll come there the last hour of light, they'll spar, they'll work scrapes, do that. And then they all kind of work off to this little miniature Oak flat of red Oaks. And they all sort of end up there. And I haven't had the Northwest wind that I need to sit that spot and I'm getting it Saturday. So, nice. um, with a nice cold front. So I'm going to make one strategic play tonight. And then if I don't get them tonight, I'm crashing in on Saturday, <laughs> right, right on top. We so. might have to do a follow-up episode if you if you connect with him. Yeah, there's. Uh, I, I was so certain I was going to get this deer killed before the podcast too. Yeah, like I mean, I, I've told my buddies I'm like I'm virtually a wildlife photographer at this point because this deer <laughs> has given me hours of the most beautiful scenic footage, full frame, standing on his hind legs and the licking branches. I mean, everything you could dream about. And that first night he came out and did all that. I'm like, I am laying down the most epic episode right now. Yeah, for real. And then, it, and then he just never gets in. But if anything, it'll be a, a cool story if I can, you know, close the book on him. But it's definitely not a guarantee. Yeah. When's the last time you saw him? How long ago? Um. So today's Wednesday. I hunted Saturday evening for him. Okay. And um. I went out very early cause we had rain that morning and in that backfield, um, those deer are so comfortable because it's completely secluded. I'll go out at 3 PM, which it doesn't get dark here until after seven. Yeah. And those deer will be out there four hours before, before dark. Cause they feel so comfortable. And then I end up blowing them out of the field. So I went out at like 1:45, climbed in my tree and sure enough, the rain moved out and probably three 30, I had deer pouring out of the woods that deer, so I think he's three and a half. He could be four and a half. His body's really filling out now that he's into the fall. Yeah. But he's very smart. And that deer was on the field. He felt comfortable enough at 545. So an hour and a half before dark, he was on the field. Jeez. And I learned a little bit of a lesson in a hard way. Um, 
we're we're very flat here, flat agricultural land, right? So thermals don't really come into play too much. Yep. Well, Saturday we had like a five mile an hour wind. It was the correct wind, but as it got dark, it completely died. And I could just feel that heavy evening air just pulling down. Mm-hmm. And my back field is sort of bowl shaped and the thermals switched and they were sucking right to that field. And like I said, he's got all those deer that come out first. I had three does come up the edge and they were downwind. And I, I do use scent lock and try to be as, you know, scent free as I can. I know it's not a hundred percent, but it helps. Yeah. And that doe got to 15 yards and started testing the wind. And I'm like, no, don't do it. You know? (laughs) Well, what I typically see with scent lock is they might do that and then they kind of pace back and forth and then they'll relax, you know? Well, she was getting enough of me that she kept coming and coming. She got right to the base of my tree. I don't know if she smelled where I had touched the sticks or what, but she took off running and she blew 25 deer out of that field. Oh no! He left too. And I just took that opportunity. That was six 30, about 45 minutes before dark. And I didn't want to get pinned in the tree. So I just left. I snuck out the back door. I'm like, he's gone. He doesn't know what scared that doe. Yep. And I left. And sure enough, he gave me a picture an hour after dark. He stayed right there. And on the cell cam, he walked by it. But Well, it's amazing. I've, I've always been like, man, if a deer blows at you or, like, catches your wind, like, it's going to be gone for a week. And over the years, I've just realized one deer can blow and clear a whole field out, but they blow at so many different things. Like even, even getting them on camera with coyotes coming through, all of a sudden you can see every deer, they're gone. And 15 minutes later, they come right back. And so that exact thing happened. The the third night that I hunted him, I had a coyote. He didn't even chase any deer. He just kind of skirted the field, but a doe saw him and blew at him. Yep. They all ran and exact, exactly what you just said happened. They came right back out and I'm like, oh, okay, it might be okay. Yeah. But uh, it's I've just been pulling my hair out. I really have because it, it's almost, I don't know if it's better or worse that I see him every time. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's right there. I just can't, can't close the deal. And you typically don't get that many opportunities at a good buck like that. Usually you get one or two and you better make it happen. Yeah. But, I mean, it sounds like he's pretty comfortable out there. And, and that's, and that's the other thing that I was just going to say, I mean, you just reminded me of it is, even if he got spooked by that doe, his bed is still bulletproof to him. Mm-hmm. I've not bumped him anywhere close to his bed. Yep. So he's never had a negative reaction in that area to feel unsafe. So it sort of makes sense, I guess, that he's staying around, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> like it, I said, it's very frustrating. It's funny. I've had multiple conversations this week with guys doing the whole cat and mouse deal with a certain buck right now. And I'm like, I can't believe it. Like in my mind, we're basically in summer still and it's actually Mm -hmm. here. It's been, you know, that (laughs) it takes forever to actually set in. Like I'm bow hunting, like it's bow season. And then before you know it, it's over and you're like, Oh yeah, no, I miss it. already. And I've noticed, uh, I've noticed with young kids too, you're so busy throughout the year that it'll be May, June. And you're like, Oh yeah, a few months to hunt. And then bang, it's, right there and you're like oh man i got a lot of stuff to get done uh-huh yeah i i struggled hard on prep this year i normally like to put a different type of food out for the deer around here but it's tough because it's like i've got i've got probably 60 acres of soybeans around their bedding area or on the south and east side of their bedding area and then 
on the southwest corner, it's all corn, probably 40 acres of corn. And then their whole bedding area is acorns. I mean, I can't walk down yeah. the bean rows to get to my stand without stepping on 2000 acorns, like all the way down. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, what's the point? You know, maybe like some yeah. turnips or something for like super late season. But other than that, right. I just don't have any, I don't really have anything extra to offer them at this point. Yeah. Have you planted turnips in the past there? I haven't. Or any type I, of brassica like that? I was planning on doing it this year, and I had a spot on one corner of the bean field that they had fenced off, and it was he would keep hay there. Uh, well, a couple of years mm-hmm. back, he quit putting hay there, and I was like, hey, can I, can I start putting a food plot in here? I know the deer already come through here. So I planted a food plot mm-hmm. last year, but it was kind of a mix of everything. I didn't know what would take because it was kind of on a north hillside. I knew it was going to get some sun in some spots, little sun in other spots. And so I just did this. Uh, there's a hardware store here in town, and they make their own blend every year. And so I was like, I'll, I'll yep. give it a try. And then this year I was going to do turnips on that, and they pulled the fence down, and he planted beans and everything. And so I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I was like, that's that was going to be the perfect yeah. little testing area for it. So. Yeah, it's been it's interesting to see. I have uh, a couple couple oh, I call them neighbors, but they're like three miles away. Say they swear by turnips. Their deer will demolish them. I mean, yeah. right from late August on, they'll be on them nonstop. And they're in the same mixed agriculture that I am. Yeah, I'll plant turnips. My turnips will get waist high. I'll get, I mean, six inch turnips on them some years because our soil is good. Yeah, those deer will not take a bite of them until there's snow on the ground, which could be good late season, but we're not always guaranteed, guaranteed snow. Right. And it's, I mean, I have an unbelievable amount of deer too. You would think whatever I plant there, they would hammer, right. They'll walk right through those things. I mean, won't touch them until it gets cold. I don't know if it's uh, like a, what I want to say, like a family, (laughs) almost like a family preference, like the certain deer figure out what they are and they pass that on. Yeah. And these deer just don't know what they are. I don't know, but that it's interesting so to see just, crazy. just in a couple miles, they prefer different things. Yeah. I, unfortunately I haven't been able to test out a bunch of different stuff. Um, we'll see. I'm hoping at some point to have my own land cause the land I hunt is still, it's not lease. It's just kind of, we're able to hunt it. Permission. It was a permission yep. deal. The guy who owned it passed away and I was like, okay, well, there goes my hunting land, you know, but then typically that's I, what happens. I thought for sure his sons were going to sell it like right away because they all live out of state. And I mm-hmm. called the cattle farmer. Um, cause there's a guy who leases it for cattle and crops. He doesn't hunt at all. Um, and I was like, Hey, what's going on? Do you, have you heard at all about the property? He's like, they're keeping it. They're keeping it and going to continue to lease it to me for cattle and crops and Nobody hunts it. Awesome. And so I called both the sons. I said, hey, what's going on? Is there any way I could? And they're like, oh, absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> they're like, dad's let you hunt that for years. We're not taking that from you. And I'm like, yes. But I still yeah. don't have and full access to, like, do any improvements or anything like that on it. So A lot, a lot of those families, especially with, like, the older guy, if you, if you treat them right, I mean – that goes a long way. Oh yeah. A lot of people that get kicked out of spots and stuff like that, it's because they're not taking care of their landowners like they should yeah. be. No, In we, I mean, I've gone out there, we've cleaned up, I think we filled five trash, like the roadside trash dumpsters 
with trash. Uh, I think it was high school kids. It was right at the end of summer two years ago. Uh, And there was just a big fire pit, glass bottles, you name it. It was strung (laughs) out for 200 yards. So I went out there, Mm -hmm. actually cleaned that up twice. Uh, I was trying to set it up to to bust those kids and uh, never did. (laughs) And and so I talked to the the cattle farmer and he's like, listen, this is what you're going to do if you ever catch them. He's like, have some chains and locks ready and chain them in there. Lock the gates so they can't (laughs) drive out. And I'm like, whoa, you're taking this a whole nother level. Like that's, that might be kidnapping. And he's like, no, we'll we'll settle it. We'll make sure nobody ever comes out there again. I'm like, all right. (laughs) But yeah, we never did. We never did catch those guys. I kind of put the word out to anybody who fishes the pond out there. Cause I mean, the guy who owned it would let anybody and everyone come out and and fish and hunt and then it got to the point where he was like hey i'm giving them your number you're coordinating everything and i'm like sweet and uh yeah it had a bunch of people that i caught I out there i see i see that with farmers around here that don't hunt they'll either delegate one of their farm workers or somebody like you like what you have yeah. i don't even want to mess with it just take care of this so it's not even on my radar absolutely they don't care yeah, it's yeah. been awesome, and it's a great property. I'll have to I'll have to send you some aerials of it and get your take on where you'd hunt. The tough part is there's cattle yeah. there's cattle on probably two thirds of it, and I've yeah. noticed it, it's not that the deer won't go in there. It just depends on how many cows are in there. Like if there's one or two cows, the deer For will sure. still work through. But if the whole you know if all seventy five cows are in one area, you can forget having a deer come through. Yeah, I've seen that as well, whether it be Missouri or Kansas, where I hunted cattle pastures. I Where I killed my buck in Kansas last year was pasture, but they were rotated out. They were on the neighboring property, so that worked out well. But from what I've seen, those deer don't like to be overrun with cattle. Yeah, I, I've watched cows chase deer off in Wisconsin. I was sitting up on a hill, and I yeah. saw across the valley there was probably 100, 100 head of cattle and all of a sudden, these three three does jumped the fence into the cattle pasture, and it was like a stampede. They did not want them in there. They all ran, and the deer took off, hopped a couple <laughs> fences, and were gone. And I was like, "Damn, yeah. those cows are brutal." <laughs> yeah. Well, hey man, we are we're over an hour now. That seemed like it flew by. Um, yeah, it did. But I want to give you a chance to share kind of some of your content, where people can find um, your social media stuff. Um, because yeah, I know you're putting out great stuff. You killed, what was it? Six, six deer on camera last year. Yeah. I had two bucks and four does that I was able to take last year's. And that was actually like the first year that I, I I had self filmed, you know, messed around with it a little bit, but not making like a complete usable episode out of it, you know, and last year going in, I said, I'm buckling down. I'm going to do this right. And I was very lucky it worked out it worked out really well for me yeah um but yeah especially uh it's kind of funny we laugh because i went to kansas and i shot a beautiful nine point out there and i'm like oh this video is gonna blow up on youtube you know this is a big buck it's gonna do great far and away our most successful hunt on the channel is a doe hunt from my own property Oh, nice. <laughs> that just caught on and took off like wildfire. I'm like, man, spent all that money, went out to Kansas, thought I was going to shoot this great buck and make this great video. And people just love the doe hunt for my property. I don't know what it is, but we laugh about that all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Um, so what, yeah. what are your channels? What, um, can people go uh, and check so out? So the YouTube channel is myself and a friend of mine, Tyler Wilk. Um, and it's called split brow productions and across all the social platforms. I think we're on everything, but Twitter as okay. split brow productions. We have TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Um, we're not super at, and that's actually where I found your podcast is on TikTok. Yeah. Um, and I'm always looking for new podcasts too. I'm a, I'm an electrician. I own my own business, but I work by myself. Okay. So I always have my headphones in at work and I listen to podcasts pretty much all day long. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have to check this one out. And then I heard you mention saddle hunting on the one episode. I'm like, oh, I'll reach out and see if he wants to, wants to hook up and do one. But yeah, but yeah, um, definitely if, the, if anybody wants to find us on, on YouTube, that's where the bulk of our content is. Um, and also if I could real quick, like I said, uh, we're working with latitude outdoors, yep. um, their website, they're based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they have like I said, great ownership. Like if you go to Facebook to any of the, the groups like Saddle Hunter Nation is one, any of those saddle hunting groups on Facebook, um, Kevin Leach and Alex Chop are the two owners. They're in there personally. And if there's any nice. issue or anybody making a remark about latitude, good or bad, they're right on it. I yeah. mean, it, it's pretty rare nowadays to see, you know, the ownership actually taking a proactive role like that. Oh, yeah. And, um, when I first reached out to Kevin, um, about working with him, he, he drove an hour and a half up to my property, brought all the saddles, did a little demo day at my property. We set them up. I mean, they're awesome guys. They really That's are. Awesome. So I'd like to send people there to latitudeoutdoors.com. Yeah, definitely. Check them out. I'll make sure to put that in the uh, description of the video along with all your social media handles. So that'd be great. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you hopping on with me and we're going to have to hunt sometime. Uh, maybe yeah. next time you're coming through Springfield, let me know if it's during hunting season, I'll, I'll bring you out yeah, to the property. Closer, and... closer to Halloween. I think it's a couple days before Halloween. I'm heading through there, headed to Kansas for a oh, week. So. Man. Speaking of, I got to share this. I haven't shared this on the podcast at all. So, um, I had an elk trip planned out to Colorado and okay. it was an elk mule deer and possibly a bear. I just didn't know if I was going to get a bear tag or not. Mm -hmm. And my wife is on a surrogacy journey, so she's going to have a baby for another couple um, that can't oh, wow. have one. And based on her cycle and everything, um, we we didn't know when we were going to have to go to New York, but they were like, hey, the 5th of November, we need you in New York. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. And uh, so what, what was funny is we planned this elk trip, and it's almost always the last week of October like almost always. So I'm like, sweet, we can go straight from that to the peak of the rut. We're going to be good. Well, this year, I think opening day is like the 29th and then it goes till the 7th of November. And so I'm like, I'm about to miss the white tail yeah. for possibly shooting an elk. What's going oh, on? Oh yeah. <laughs> so I was already like, okay, you know what? That's a step down for me. And then my wife was like, Hey, just a heads up, uh, based on my cycle, we've got to be in New York on the 5th. And I'm like, okay, so I'll just cut my elk trip short. We'll go up to New York, come back here. No big deal. And yesterday we woke up and she's like, hey, babe, I started today. And I was like, that's five <laughs> days ahead of schedule. And she's like, yes, it is. And I'm like, so yeah. what does that mean? She's like, well, it means we're probably going to have to go to New York on the first. And so I'm like, 
I'm going to miss all of elk season. And, but <laughs> the, the kicker, so you gain back the whitetail rut. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, so we have to be up there on the first, but we're there for a week, but that should still put it not quite a full week, but that should still put us back here around the sixth or seventh. And so I'm like, Oh, that is like prime time. It's the last <laughs> yeah, week before time, yeah. it's the last week before rifle season kicks off here. Normally rifle kicks off like around the middle of the month, around the 15th. And so I'm like, at least I'll still get back mm-hmm. out and yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, none of it's set in stone yet. I don't know for sure that I'm missing elk season. I don't know for sure that I'll be back for the sixth and seventh, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hopefully you can get some rut hunting in. I know. I can't wait. I mean, I've started to see a little bit of act, <laughs> like pre rut activity, but, uh, you know how much it changes over the next three weeks really. Um, so, well, good luck oh, to yeah. you, man. I really do appreciate you hopping on and I'm going to give you the final word. I call this segment emptying the chamber. Um, maybe I, maybe I need to call this like hitting the release for you since you haven't, rifle hunted in so long (laughs) uh yeah um i think we pretty much covered everything man um like i said just check us out on the social platforms and i've got a i do have a a really busy fall plan like i said i'm headed west to kansas on like the 28th of october okay and that might end up being a combination kansas oklahoma hunt if i tag out early in kansas that's cool um then I'm headed back to Michigan for November, and then I did draw Iowa. So Iowa muzzleloader uh, between Christmas and New Year is the plan right now. So could be a banner year. Maybe I can finally yeah. catch up to this this buck that's handing my butt to me here in Michigan too. So um, if everybody wants to follow along on YouTube, hopefully I can uh, lay down some good footage this fall too. Yeah, I'll be following along for sure. Have you put any footage out yet of the buck you're chasing in Michigan? I haven't. Um, it's all going to go into the episode I, when you. I get typically in, play it? it pretty pretty close. I, I typically play it pretty close to the vest on social media until I get the deer on the ground. <laughs> um, just because there are so many hunters in Michigan, you know what I mean. Yep. Someone's <laughs> going to track down but, that property. Uh, it's if I make it through the season and I don't get him killed, I have so much quality footage that I'll probably have to make an episode anyways, even if somebody else kills him. Yep. But uh, it is. He's far and away the most photogenic deer that I've ever had. <laughs> He's not shy about getting getting filmed. So I'm really hoping I can do that because, like I said, it's going to be an epic episode if I can do it. So That's awesome, man. Well, good luck. Hopefully over these next couple of days when you hit that cold front, uh, you can catch up with him. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Good luck to you too. Thanks, man. Have a good one. And that is going to wrap it up for today's episode. I definitely had a good time chatting with Matt and just hearing some of the tips and tricks that he has, some of the experience that he has in the outdoors. And I hope that you guys can take some of the stuff that you've been hearing on the podcast and put it to use in your area. I know some of it might not be relevant if it's a hunter from a totally different part of the state pursuing something that you may not even have where you're at. But If it is something that you can use, I hope you are. I hope you're finding success with it too. I love learning new strategies to get out and pursue the game that I I chase after. And uh, Matt definitely brought a lot of that to the table today. 
but I've got great news. We are like a week closer to the rut. And in fact, I've been seeing some rutting activity around here and I've been seeing a lot more deer killed on roadways, which is crazy. Uh, every year, I feel like that can be a really good indicator if you're in a high population deer area as well as um, near major, major roadways. When deer start to rut, the does get so annoyed, they're running from bucks constantly, they're a lot less aware of their surroundings, and also bucks are just, they that switch flips, and they're in like breeding mode, and then they just keep on, keep on chasing, and again, they're just not as aware of their surroundings, so you see a lot more deer hit as the rut approaches, and I use that every single year to just kind of tell me, okay, it's getting thicker. It's getting heavier. You see more deer on the roadways. It means it's time to get out in that stand and, and maybe start doing some all day sits. So I could go on and on and on about whitetail forever, but I won't. I'll let you guys go. Thank you for listening. And until next time, always choose adventure and God bless. <laughs>